Hello and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. Um, my name's Pip Adam and this is episode 96. Um, it is the 10th in our element series that we're running all year and we are deep in the land of plot. Um, this um, was an excellent um, episode for me. I enjoyed it a lot. I got to talk to Laura Vincent. Um, Laura is um, one of my favourite writers and um, thinkers and I love chatting with her. Um, Laura Whakapapa's Ngāti Mahanga um, she is a writer of all sorts and um, she introduces herself in a really great way after this introduction that I'm making now. Um, so we talk about two of Laura's poems. One is called Activities and one is called Anecdotal Happiness. These both appeared on the spin-off as the Friday poem. So um, they're very easy to find if you Google them or um, there are links to the poem um, on um, the website better-read.com so you can see them there. There's also some links to some other things that we talk about. I will be offering a um, an exercise at the end of this episode if you feel um, motivated and inspired by the conversation um, and yeah I think that's all except I'd like to thank Copyright Licensing New Zealand um, who have helped fund this um, season. So yeah thank you so much and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This is Laura Vincent's poem, Activities. Activities. You know when you're not strong enough to articulate your feelings because all of your strength is being used for one thing and that one thing is activities. Endless activities. When that person invites you to paper mache a two-scale volcano or to ride a bike across the frozen moors or to play equable, the game of math. And even though you had plans already, you say yes without hesitation. Yes, I'll help you make your own soap. Yes, I'll wander around Bunnings finding materials to make decorations for the party you haven't invited me to yet. Yes, I'll walk with you for two miles in the middle of the night to fly a kite in the dark. Yes, I'll dance in the forest to your friend's jam band as he gurns behind a vape cloud. Yes, I'll watch the final Hobbit movie, but in slow motion because it really brings out Tolkien's intention that way. Yes, I'll climb a hill. In Aleph Batcherman's book, The Idiot, Salon goes all the way to Hungary to teach English to try to appease the withholding Ivan. In the TV show Fleabag, the main character keeps having talks in the dark about foxes with the hot priest. In the film Carol, Therese goes to lunch and then to get a Christmas tree and then to Carol's stately home. So you see, everyone's doing activities. And you have to agree to them all because you can't let it end and if you don't say yes, you could miss the thing that finally gets them to tenderly hold your face and look you in the eyes and say, I'm so glad you're here. Let's spend the rest of our time on this earth, making each other's lives amazing. Everything's so hard, but it feels easier when you're around. Let's do this together, yes. Or at least... Would you like to pash here on the cliff face that we've just scaled? Or at least, I notice that you're not talking about how sunburnt you're getting. Let's go inside. But they never do, so you just keep forlornly agreeing to more activities. And I can't tell you to simply express your feelings because I'm not that stupid and I'm not that clever. Instead, I suggest 
keep saying yes to activities. When they ask you to hike through your city's most forbidding swamp, say yes, then stride ahead and playfully push them into the mud. Just playfully push them and when they suggest a visit that to the paperclip exhibition, say yes. But first, let's quickly stop for a quality winter coat. Then make them watch you try on 15 coats and then you don't buy even buy any. And when they want you to watch them practice the violin for 40 minutes and then get a smoothie without asking you a single question about your life, tell them yes, you'd love to drop everything for that and then grab the violin out of their hands that will never touch you. Just grab that violin and start playing Zadok the Priest, the priest by Handel and now you're in charge and you've jolted yourself out of your accommodating submersion and you have become the activity and then throw their violin on the floor and run just run for miles by yourself this is anecdotal happiness by Laura Vincent anecdotal happiness there was a story on the six o'clock news scientists have discovered that only bad things are happening now It seems nothing good will happen on a grand scale ever again. In their carefully region-free accent, the newsreader continued, experts are still working out what to attribute this to, with some blaming the economy and others concluding that it's actually always been like this and we just never noticed. The scientists are clear on one thing, positive events have now been reduced to the anecdotal level only. There is no more global good news. The newsreader looked directly at the camera. The best we can hope for now is to hear that your moat Jared won moderately big on the horses. Weeks passed. And sure enough, the scientists were right. The upside was that people started to really value the happiness of their fellow humans and no longer saw others' achievements as diminishing those of their own. The downside was that everything was shit. Sensing a strong need for balance from their audience, the newsreaders started reporting on anecdotal good news in between stories of corruption and disaster and general decline. You turn on the TV to hear them talk about how Trev and Jonah from Hastings had a bumper tomato crop this season, and in that moment it felt like we were all enjoying Trev and Jonah's ripe bounty. Our empathy grew as we wallowed in each other's mild victories. We connected with those we hadn't talked to for years and desperate for granules of positivity to sweeten our terrible days. Maybe it had been like this all along, but now it felt more urgent. Everything felt more urgent. You'd pass a stranger in the street and they'd stop you, walking right up and grabbing you by the collar with both hands. I found 20 cents on the ground just now, they'd say, and you pull down your gas mask eyes watering from the joy and the smoke. You little beauty, you reply. Okay. Hello, Laura. How are you? Hello, Pip. I'm great. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, it's so good to see you. I really, I'm really grateful that you're taking some time out. I really appreciate it. Um, what I normally do in the podcast um, is ask people to introduce themselves um, in any way that they feel comfortable doing that. So could we start with that? Could you tell us who you are? Yeah, uh, so kia ora, ko Laura Vincent Aho. I'm a writer from Waiuku. By writer, I mean I write poetry. I have 
completed my first novel and I've started a second. I have a 13-year-old food blog where I write recipes. Um, and also I'm a, like a freelance writer. I like a content creator. Put that one last because it's the least fun. Um, if it's writing, I, I do it. Yeah. My God, that sounds so cool. Um, I haven't prepped you for this, but I'm very excited that you're doing um, TikTok as well now, eh? Oh, my gosh. I am so into TikTok and I don't care that I am um, a 35 year old person on there um do you know what I put it off for so long because I was like what can I bring to the table there's a billion people on there they're all doing awesome stuff there's no point me being there but then actually I realized that the multitudes of people on there it's like that's why you should be there because anyone can do anything on there it doesn't matter you don't have to yeah and I'm just having a really great time with it. It's so much I'm, fun. I'm so loving it. And as far as that idea of narrative, it's so interesting to watch. Um, yeah, this micro storytelling. Yeah, I'm, I, yeah. I love, I love TikTok. It's a whole new way of thinking about, like, yeah, reshuffling the stuff that I'm already doing and then turning it into little, like, tiny, tiny bites. Yeah. So yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying your channel. It's very cool. Is Thank it a channel so on TikTok? Oh I don't gosh. know. Yeah, anyway, your <laughs> handle. I don't know. Oh, no. Anyway, we are here today. Um, you have very generously chosen two of your poems to talk about today. You've chosen anecdotal happiness, which um appeared in the spinoff um in January of 2020, and then also activities, which is an earlier poem which appeared in the spinoff as well um in 2019. And I was just wondering, um, what do you think about these poems? Makes them good to talk about. Um, um, when we're talking about plot or narrative or how things move along yeah I I liked the idea of doing both these poems together because even though even though they talk about very different things they both start out with like a small pretty feasible concept and then kind of extrapolate it out to the point of being surreal um, and I'm very fond of both of them and I feel like they both kind of represent how I write and how I think <laughs> yeah and yeah. I, th I think um, one of the things that I really love about activities is that it gets into this sort of listing structure, like um, where, can you talk a little bit, because what happens with the listing structure is that the lists are actually moving us on, you know, like they, they mm. feel like one thing, but they're actually doing another. And I'm just wondering how you made decisions about what was in the narrative in that list and what was out of the list. So I really enjoy lists as a narrative structure and like they come in so many different forms like like um Paul Porter's music he's a real big list user you know he'll be like and and he uses the the list to like fill out these songs and it's a great way I've realized to shoehorn in a lot of ideas and references and then force them to have relevance to whatever structure you've chosen so for me it's it's a really fun way to fit in like a ton of um yeah a ton of disparate ideas and to be like you're all in a poem now even if they're not things you'd expect to see in a poem it's very satisfying because I'm a person who loves to explain I love to give like so much information and to also sidetrack you with fun facts and this list structure kind of lets me disguise my natural tendency to like show off or interrupt it's a bit of a Trojan horse um, but I also find it like it's a very satisfying way to create movement and momentum within the poem as well. 
Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. And like one of the interesting things in activities is that it's bringing in sort of cultural items from, um, I, I always put this in inverted commas, but kind of like the real world, like, um, yeah. you know, it mentions Fleabag, it mentions Carol, it mentions the idiot. And I, I wonder, what do you think that gives to the poem? Like, like that's, that's an interesting thing. And like, when I think of you, I do think of someone who is really engaged with other cultural activity which I really I think that's one of the things I really like about reading your work so yeah how did they end up in there okay as yet I love a reference but I mean (laughs) I think I'm not alone in that I think humans generally like we enjoy seeing those connections and kind of references are a way to like tell you more about us to kind of claim an identity in a way um and I wanted something for the readers to link onto so when they're reading the poem like you've got kind of this narrative like that the narrator is giving you but then in the middle I put them in the middle on purpose so that you can suddenly stop and consider uh like it's like the narrator isn't the only um idiot (laughs) you know (laughs) way of saying like there's a bit of a precedence a literary precedence if you will um and I also kind of wanted to consider how so so activities it's like this uh logging of activities that the narrator does in this dogged pursuit of relationships and it kind of you know it says like all the ridiculous things you end up doing all the things you don't want to do I, I don't mean like in a consent way I mean like playing board games mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and then in the middle it's like but wait it's not just me we've got um you know we've got the idiot by Elif Bachuman we've got Fleabag and I sort of and we've got the movie Carol and I wanted to say as well as like I'm not the only idiot it's also kind of considering how love stories are told and perhaps what this means for how we process our own love stories if that makes sense like it's very simplistic because obviously I mean like being fed certain narratives does give us unhealthy notions I think but also some of us are perhaps a little bit more suggestible than others (laughs) possibly the writer of the poem who could say yeah (laughs) oh gosh count me in count me in I'll put my hand up Um, but like oh no you go Okay, I was just going to say, like, I just, so I'm a real referency person, that is what I am, but I, I have to admit, like, I chose Fleabag on purpose, because I kind of wanted to um, trick the algorithm of the public, like, okay, so Fleabag is a real well-made show, I enjoyed watching it, it's excellent, but I was definitely like, if I mention Fleabag, people might want to read this, and I freely admit it, like, that's... (laughs) I'm going to be transparent about that like I was like I'm probably going to have like a little bit more success with this if I used a flea bag instead of if I use like some obscure I don't know film from 1932 or something yeah but I think, um, you know that's part of the conversation as well that I think is so interesting I was, I was spending I spent a little bit of time a couple of weeks ago with um Lucy Ravel who um whose book started as um uh, sort of Instagram content and um, on her blog and it's really interesting the way that she talks about um, her interaction with the algorithm and you know like it's, it's very it almost reminded me of comedy or theater where you get this instant reaction from mm. audience in a way and yeah I think I think it's really interesting actually yeah it's like a weird sort of um, almost like a coldness that we have to apply to everything we do now yeah well we don't have to but like we can choose to do that yeah yeah 
like a cold, critical lens. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm really, I'm really dumb. I want to embrace the metallic body because I find it really exciting. I find it kind of cool that there's this other intelligence that um, oh, is sort I of thought about with this thing. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I'll just kind of whisper things at my phone in the hopes that it'll present that stuff back to me. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, getting back to activities, I really one thing that I think is very interesting about it is that there's this very satisfying arc in it, and I think I love that word you use, Trojan horse. Like, <laughs> I think that you know there definitely feels like a narrative. Like, there's a rising tension in the list of things. Then in the middle, there's kind of that pulling in of other things, and um, you know, and that very definite choosing of the things that you pull in. Mm. Um how much reworking does that kind of take like does it sort of unfold in an intuitive way on a first draft or is it something that you work at um over a series of drafts um i okay so this both of these poems i wrote them real fast Mm. it's like i saw them like a pdf in my head and then i put them on the paper and then i did a little bit of editing the so the Actually, the, the main thing with activities, I was real lucky that um, Ashley um, at the spinoff, who's at the spinoff at the time, oh, Ashley Young, um, <laughs> she was, I sent it to her and she was like, I love this, but what if we, um, it was a big smushy paragraph and she's like, what if we make it a little bit more like elegant? And, and that blew my mind. <laughs> like, made it a little bit more readable, just literally pressing enter a few times. Yeah. <laughs> And that just changed it. And then, I don't know, I think I, I might have changed a few tiny things, but it basically, both of, both the poems came out fully formed. Um, and now I've fully forgotten your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that actually you've totally answered it. Like, I, I think there is a degree of energy that comes in those first drafts, say. Eh? Like, mm. and I don't know, like, I have this theory that everything's writing, like that when these things sort of appear PDF finished, it's because we've sort of been reading up to them or thinking up to them totally. or you know what I mean it would have so yeah the I the the thought process would have been there I just wouldn't have known that it was happening and it would have been kind of compressed like I, I think actually that's the case with both poems like how they were meant to be is how like I knew they had to be yeah um yeah but then I have other stuff as well where I you know it's a lot more workshop uh, can you do a workshop with one just yourself <laughs> like yeah yeah <laughs> there's probably a real normal word for that like edited or something <laughs> I think yeah, I think there's edited. um that's the best kind of workshop <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> the feedback is always excellent <laughs> yeah I always love myself yeah. <laughs> um looking at anecdotal happiness um like I this is also a really interesting poem for me as far as narrative goes because it's sort of there's a couple of things that I wanted to ask you about one is that it kind of embeds itself in like uh, an already standing narrative which is kind of like the tv news like um we kind of you know get to know what like I mean we we maybe have an innate understanding of what the tv news might sound like or the narrative that and then it just kind of blows out in this Mm. really satisfying way um yeah what do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah I I love I actually use the like embedded tv news thing and quite a few of my poems like unpublished ones as well I find it like a really fun motif. So there's like, it does like a number of things. It offers exposition, you know, like it's a way of 
conveying information because they're telling you. And it's also a way of like, like legitimizing the wackiness or the surrealness of the poem um, because you, you know, like it's this traditional news media and they're telling you what's happening. And it kind of like allows the reader to process it um, in that way. Uh, while also like, and then it also shows the passage of time. It's really useful for that. And it also shows the small turning into the very big. So like it might start off with, I've got like another poem where I start off with um, something, there's some stupid plot and it starts off with like local news media and then it's like national news media and then it's like suddenly the whole world's watching. Um, and I also just think it's funny like to juxtapose something real dry and serious like a newsreader with uh, like the absurd storyline just like imagining you know the newsreader trying to say it real seriously yeah I think that's fun I really really love that and and I think one of the things that's happening here is just um in a way you're creating the splitting of reality like there's there's a new world happening in the poem yeah. and I think possibly like when I went to school I always thought poems um, I don't know why I think it was probably what I was um, exposed to but I, I didn't know poems could do this imaginative leap that this does you know like mm -hmm. a very it feels like something maybe more at home in fiction but yeah I, do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah I really um, I enjoy like a kind of I don't know if this is the right word but like a populist poem like I like poems where I'm like I know exactly what's happening now obviously I love poems where it's abstract and where it's um you know someone like zooming into something on like a pixel level um but the poems that I tend to write they tend to be um very not obtuse <laughs> and then sometimes I'm like damn I need to write an obtuse poem like I need to write something that sounds like an actual poet wrote it um but on the whole what I end up writing is these yeah these kind of poems where it's like um it's a small idea and it gets bigger and bigger and then we're watching the narrator or the people adapt really quickly to this world and run with it um or like, you know, put on the fake moustache and go with the concept. Um, yeah, and then watch it sort of get dizzyingly out of control. Yeah. Because that's what I so love about this poem and like other work of yours that I've read is this, there's a commitment to it. You know what I mean? Like there's this very, yeah. um, there's this moment of leaning in, you know what I mean? Like there's this moment where it could, I love that idea of the fake moustache. That's a really, that that is very clear in my head. You know, there's a moment where, everyone in the poem just goes with it and like as a reader like I sort of go with it as well like it's just yeah I really love it yeah and like the thing with anecdotal happiness is oh actually both with activities and anecdotal happiness anecdotal happiness is that they're like they're, they're kind of feasible you know so um, anecdotal happiness um, if you guys haven't read it it's like basically about how um it's kind of a phenomenon, I guess, where um, there's nothing good happening in the world anymore. So it's a feasible phenomenon. Um, and the only place we can get our good news from is on an anecdotal level. So instead of it being like there's a scientific breakthrough or um, the dolphins were saved, it's, it's just like your mate won five bucks on the scratchy. That's the best we can hope for anymore. And then the poem kind of shows like people adapting to this. And yeah, I, yeah. This is something wonderful. I just want to read um, the first little bit. It says, there was a story on the six o'clock news. 
scientists have discovered the, that only bad things are happening now. It seems nothing good will happen on a grand scale ever again. And like, it just, um, it's just such a wonderful, it, and I think that's what I really love about it as well, is it starts with this abstract idea of good and bad, but then like you say, like it sort of gets bigger and smaller at the same time. Like it gets mm. more particular, you know, like this is how we're going to deal with this um, and what it means on an everyday scale, which I think works really, really well. It's just so good. Yeah. And it's funny oh. because I wrote that in January, 2020. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, so I, I don't know, do you remember that day when, so it was early January and there was the Australian bushfires still happening mm-hmm. and the sky just went orange? Yep. Yeah. So it was that day and it just felt like there's a lot of bad stuff happening. We were kind of kicking off a dicey election year uh, at home and abroad. Um, there was the bushfires, there was tension between the US and Iran, there was so much bad stuff and then the sky turned orange and I was out camping um, with my family and it's the same place we've been camping every year since 1986. So it's like a little world of its own really and so we were miles away from civilization and the orange sky made the grass so sickly green and then I got this text from one of my best friends saying that um, her partner proposed to her and she's getting married and I was like Oh, that's, I'm so happy about that. Um, but this is a real weird like day. Everything feels real bad. But this one little thing is great. And I was like, oh, I wish I could like ring up the news and say, everything is bad. But like this nice thing happened to my mate Kim. Um, and then I wrote the poem five minutes later. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. think this is what's so, um, what it captures so well. And I think that this is something in narrative that I think works really well in that kind of animating move of narrative is that you have got this struggle, like absolutes would almost be easier to deal with, you know what I mean? Like mm. it's that thing where like if there, there's like this um, animation that the brain has to do sort of thinking, I don't know, like some days I do think everything's dreadful and then I see a puppy or something and I'm like, well, how do I... Wow, that doesn't fit with my worldview, you know. It is hard, eh? Because nothing is ever good and nothing is ever bad. And 2020 was obviously like a horrific year on so many levels. But I don't think there's ever been a truly good year. Like there was never a year without disaster or destruction, you know, and which is like not a not a delightful thought, but it's kind of it's a sort of a settling thought because it's like, okay, (laughs) we keep we keep going through this good things keep happening, bad things keep happening. We're not stuck in one or other channel. Yeah, I really like that. I really like that. And and I think that that's what's so good about the poem, you know, like it, um, and I think, you know, I I don't know, like, not when I, I don't know how to even put this without it, without it sounding dumb, but like, you know, this poem does on the first read, and I think this is what's clever about it, is there's this, inviting sense of it where it is quite you know it does sort of hand you the thing without so much obliqueness it's plain spoken you know yeah but then there's something about that invitation of the plain spoken language that allows me to sort of like really settle into the ideas in the poem if you know what I mean yeah oh I'm real glad you saw that because I wanted to that you know there's little things like when you read it again I wanted to be like you know, like Trev and Jonah with their tomato crop and we're so stoked, like that's a good news story for all of us. But I wanted to be like, um, 
I specifically chose the names Trev and Jonah because I was like, those are two very masculine names. But I was like, what if they're two guys that love each other and they grow their plants, you know, their vegetables together? Um, stuff like that, you know what I mean? Like I wanted to have these little details in there to like creating the world that I wanted and, people to see. And you see, I think this is just one of the bravest things. Like I know when I started writing, I used to write really oblique poetry that was very hard to understand and I think I can still do that a little bit but to lay everything bare in plain speech like to sort of like just there's something really amazing about that and I think it's often that it's often the writing I I like the most is like I still love I still love something really oblique but you know I just think there's something so interesting um and this is why I'm kind of interested in these in this idea of plot and narrative as well you know like you know some of the books I think about you know the plot is very clear and you talked about like the romance and you know like I'm very interested in that narrative arc at the moment which I guess kind of brings us to Billy Wilder I I mean like yeah, yeah. you talked about <laughs> <laughs> I don't know like um gosh um that movie about the person stuck in the uh, mine what's that called that Ace in seen? the Hole yeah, yeah. whoa Laura far yeah. out um <laughs> what is it about like you said this really cool thing in the email that um while thinking about plot I realized that my poems are often very plot heavy with zany escalation like a Billy Wilder film with my with the novel I wrote and the second one I'm writing they're more episodic more about the vibes rather than the plot like a Robert Altman film um so I just wonder can you talk a little bit about Billy Wilder? And I um, totally can. Yeah, I would love it if you did that because, man, it's in the hole. Whoa. Yeah, so Billy Wilder is, um, he was an American, well, so he was an immigrant to America. He um, escaped from, uh, like, the Nazi uh, occupation of Austria um, and he actually like English wasn't his first language and also he lost a lot of his family in the Holocaust so he sort of came to America with all of this um, and he but he was a like a screenwriter and a director in um, Germany and he came to America and became a screenwriter and then became a director and what's interesting about him is that he has he wrote a lot of his films as well as directing them um, and he is known for, like, absolute American classics, like Some Like It Hot, um, Double Indemnity, which is considered, like, a landmark of the film noir movement, um, Sunset Boulevard, and The Apartment, which is one of my favourite films of all time. It's, oh, I'm, like, getting shivers just saying the words The Apartment. Um, and so I'm not trying to be, like, I'm an auteur of poetry, <laughs> or I am on a level... But thinking about his films has really helped me contextualise my poetry. Um, and also sort of over lockdown and just, I don't know, 2020 being a pretty tough year on like numerous fronts, um, my love of film and my consumption of film just increased a zillion fold. Um, and yeah, so his films, they have... Like what I love about his films is that he will do different different stories, different genres, but he always has like a Billy Wilder voice. And there's very like these tropes that reappear of like sort of a fiasco situation or like sudden escalation um, of having like 
starting off with a, yeah, a ridiculous concept and just having to run with it, just having to put on your fake moustache and go. Um, and they're like, they're farcical, but they're not necessarily a, like a straightforward screwball comedy because there's a moral ambiguity to it. Um, it's like people, uh, yeah. So his, his films to me are about the ways that we absorb and like normalize the ridiculous in pursuit of getting what we want. So with Ace in the Hole that you mentioned, like there's this journalist comes to town, a small town, and he finds this guy stuck down like a, a mine shaft or something under a mountain. And instead of getting him out or like writing a small story about it, he exploits the situation to be the hero. It gets nationwide attention. There's like songs written about it. He, yeah, it gets out of hand and he can't see a way out and I feel like that's that's what a lot of my poems are like and actually um and so I'm I'm like writing a poetry collection well I've written a poetry collection and now I'm kind of shaping it um I have this chapter where I've put all my plot heavy poems and I've called it tentatively one two three which is after a Billy Wilder film starring James Cagney um but it's also like I feel like that one, two, three also kind of reflects the listing narrative that appears a lot. And it also kind of implies that you need to be counted in because things are about to get preposterous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I really, one, two, three is amazing as well. Like, I mean, I just so grateful that you've kind of like these, like I love the apartment. I love Sunset Boulevard, but like sort of spreading out into his oeuvre. Is that a thing people say? Into his other films. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, um, and I can just, I really recognize um it as a structure and a tone and a mood that is really interesting to explore. Um, in counter to that, you said that possibly the novel is more like, I think we talked about, um, yeah, we talked about more Robert Altman, which is kind of more. Which you know, I'm like, now I sound even more like wanky, no, but I'm just, I you know, like people, really people have their influences. And like, I, I do, I read books, you know, I read poetry, but, I think, yeah, the the films is where like my clear, yeah, they're my point of reference, you know. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. Like anytime I'm confused about things, like I've just we've just started rewatching Fast and the Furious for the. I love. I've been nine. seeing your tweets. I love those films. I just think they're the most magical pieces of filmmaking, and I, I mean, I really love Point Break, but it's nicer to sort of settle into a you know settle into um a a sort of family for a while but yeah Yeah. and I was just thinking like I just feel like I can see things clearer in film than I can in reading sometimes you know Mm. like yeah there's a sense of there's a feeling that I can sort of write into and make sure I'm getting which I think is really good so with the novel like um how like what was that like writing a novel like, that's a really broad question, but I just wonder, how, like? how did you um, find it? <laughs> yeah, it was it was real cool, um, but also real weird. I've I've written like I've been right, you know, I've been writing fiction all my life, but when, when like as a child, you know, been writing like the sort of fiction that um, children write. <laughs> <laughs> this is my first time of being like, okay, I'm going to write a novel, and there's a funny sense of um, I don't. It's, it's not even so much that, what is it called? Imposter syndrome. It's not so much that, like, I know that I'm a good writer, but it's a sense of, like, um, is there is there someone I need to apply to to get a license? Or, like, is there, <laughs> is there a, um, a commission that I need to ask permission from? Like, can you just write a novel? You're allowed to do that? Like, no one's asked me to do it. That was, that's been a bit weird. Um, but then also it's like, oh, there's a lot of novels, you know. <laughs> I could write one. <laughs> 
it was it was really fun i wrote the draft real quick in about 15 days and then i've been dicking around with it ever since just yeah i'm really ready to stop but um yeah like every time i think it's done it's not done and this is so it's the funny thing about so obviously rejection is a it's like 40% of writing. You just have to factor in like going to wake up, going to get my rejection, going to clean my teeth. Like <laughs> it's part yeah. of your day. Um, but so that's, that's been a whole yeah, a process. But I don't know if you've ever found this in like on your writing path, but every time I get rejected, it really sucks. But I'm also like, it gives me this instant clarity of mind where I'm like, oh, I see exactly how I should change this suddenly it's a better piece and then I get to the point where I'm like am I ever supposed to be published maybe I should just be rejected forever like this is the the like the flow state in which I'm meant to occupy because my work just keeps getting better and better with every rejection and if I had been had like this poem published if I'd had this manuscript accepted etc like six months ago it would not be what I want it to be but then I'm like where does it stop (laughs) oh I so relate I so relate like um yeah I'm in a bit of a flow of rejection at the moment and like yeah it's so and it's it's something like I used to think it was something I could get from my friends or from workshop but there's something about the stakes of it there's something about often I don't know the people that are rejecting me Mm. there's just something about the way it feels in my body when I get that email and I love the way (sighs) you talk about it being really crystal clear like it is so crystal clear and um yeah and I think that that's the only um or not only but I think I find that very productive you know and I mean like I do I do find it really productive and yeah it is and yes I agree like how do you work out when it's finished oh my god yeah again like I need the the commission to come I need the (laughs) the the guild (laughs) where is the novelist guild they need to come tell us come come yeah it's quite wild um but yeah, I honestly can't wait to read your novel. I think it'll be Thank amazing. You. And I think it sounds interesting, this um, strategy of writing it really fast, because I feel like I've been talking, I was talking to a friend over the weekend about energy in books, you know, like, um, yeah, we were both talking about sometimes when we're writing a novel, we write the boring bits and we're just like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And then we were just talking, what happens if we want to maintain the energy and we just cut out the boring bits, you know? And I was quite interested in that idea of energy. And I think that writing fast is one way to do it. Yeah. And what what does what does that look like while you were writing it? Like, was it, um, were you sort of writing nine to five or were you doing some other um, stuff as well? So I've been living with my parents for the last two years. Um, nice. Yeah, it's it's real great. Um, that so I I lived in Wellington for thirteen years and mm. I was a bartender, um, which was cool. Loved it, um, but was like just not conducive to any writing. And I mean, like any writing, like any of my food blogging or anything. Um, I was real burnt out and was in this sort of stuck in this cycle of working around the clock, and it felt like my rent was going up like every twenty minutes. <laughs> and, you know, like I was just. I was like a, a sad little jellyfish. Um, so I, I, it was you know, kind of like one of my poems. It's like, okay, um, it's all like careening out of control. So it just has to like stop suddenly. And um, so I threw it all in and like moved in back into like the house I grew up in with my parents in the middle of nowhere. Um, I say in the middle of nowhere, I'm like a 10 minute drive, like from Waikou, but um, 
there's no amenities around where I live. Like if I want a popsicle, someone's got to take me there. Um, <laughs> that's how I measure <laughs> amenities. And yeah, so I would, I didn't have exactly like a writing schedule, but it was almost like, um, I, I almost felt guilty that I suddenly had so much time. I remember I, I saw you talk somewhere, maybe it was at WOMAD about like fitting writing into your life and, you know, like trying to get it where you can. And then, and that's what I'd been sort of doing up until that point, like just finding these scraps of time to force my head into like coming up, like choking out a line that sounded vaguely creative. And then suddenly when I had all this time, I was, yeah, I felt guilty almost. <laughs> um, again, like, oh, has the guild said that it's okay to do this? Um, but once I got over that, it was just like, I'd sit down at my computer and I'd stop when I was ready to stop. But yeah, it felt real good. And yeah. like one thing I'm really, that just sounds amazing. And I totally relate to the guilt. Like, yeah, I, I relate to the guilt. Uh, and it's not, it, it's a weird feeling. Like, yeah. But um, one of the things I'm always interested in is like, do you, can you flip from one type of writing to another? Or are you someone that has to say, right, Tuesdays and Thursdays are, um food writing Wednesdays and Fridays a novel that kind of thing like how do you find that I flip real easily right which is something that's real fortunate because I have a lot of different writing styles on the go mm. um I find it hard to apply that to any other aspect of my life however <laughs> like if it's like okay we're going to go do the groceries or we're going to go visit Nana then it's like okay my entire day is leading up to that and then like you know getting home and like recovering from that <laughs> I relate, but, I relate. but if it's writing I'm real fortunate but I also have so um like I I have ADHD so it's I don't know there's so much about that that probably informs my writing and part of that is like I think maybe an ability to maybe ability to flip real quickly but also that needing like you know struggling to start and just yeah there's so much about it but um I do have like things that you know like tools that I try and you know um like I have I don't know if you've heard of these things but there's these playlists on YouTube where you can listen to like ambient music and stuff which is all very well and good but I listen to this stuff it's called isochronic tones and it's like someone's just it's like these particular like low level like beats and it's like there's a vacuum cleaner in your brain and it's really helpful I would honestly put it on a par with Ritalin in terms of effectiveness <laughs> like together they're they're a real good combo um but that I find really helps me be like okay writing now you know like yeah something about oh, those man. beats I fully recommend them or, or they also like it might be the sort of thing that for some people they're just hideous because like how different people have different like sensory needs but for me that really helps like if I'm sort of drifting around and like procrastinating and just like looking aimlessly on TikTok it's like if I put on those beats my my brain knows what it has to do so stuff oh, like that God. where I try and like you know make myself a little environment where you know the writing can happen yeah, I really love that idea because I, I often will do that because I can't always guarantee where I'm going to be able to write. Yeah. I do use kind of sound to remind me that it's sort of like to make a room with the sound. Yeah, it does that. Oh, yeah. It's like you're yeah. in a room. 
And I really love, oh my gosh, I'm going to be looking up those playlists because that sounds great. I'll email you some, yeah. Thank you. Because I have sort of got, um, yeah, I do like pink noise and white noise and stuff like that. But I just think, oh my God, that sounds amazing. Although I was very, I wasn't very good at ASMR. I thought I would be perfect, but I put it on and just like, whoa, just hit me in the wrong way. Yeah, no, I think it's one of those things you just are or you aren't and both are fine. Yeah, exactly. I really like that. Um, now we've talked sort of in glancing about food writing and like you, that's the first place I met you was as a food writer. Um, and I freaking love the way you, um, the way you write about food. Like Thank I just you. really, really love it. Your recipes always work. Um, that yeah, makes I me so just, happy. I, <laughs> I freaking, that. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine it's quite huge, but I wonder like you talked about all sorts of interesting things around I was thinking about recipes as plot but then I was thinking there's so much more to one of your blog posts and I just wonder about the structure of the blog post and you talked about Nigella Lawson and that you know when you read Nigella Lawson you sort of understood the relationships um, between sort of plot and food and story and those kinds of things can you talk a little bit about food writing yeah sure um I mean it's funny like food is it's like the most mundane thing in the world we have to consume it and we expel it in a very perfunctory way but it's also like the most political thing in the world and it's also like yeah it's got so many things but to me um yeah I I kind of write about food I write about food the way that I talk and the way I think which is why I sort of write it a little bit how I like write my poetry where Mm. it's like kind of when I say plain speaking like someone who uses this many adjectives cannot refer to themselves as plain speaking but like it's a very sort of it's very direct it's very much in my voice there is a bit of escalation there (laughs) but um yeah to me like the when I talk about plot and food writing it's kind of like what is the story behind this recipe? Why do I want to make it? Why do you want me to make it? And it doesn't have to be that every store, every recipe starts with, you know, like my Italian great grandmother in the plains of Roma. It can just be as simple as like, I loved this. I, I don't know, like you, there's a way of talking about it that is plot. <laughs> and in a way, I think, it's um it's like a way of um so when I'm like why do I love reading cookbooks obviously because I love thinking about food I love thinking about what I want to cook but then I'm like what does that mean it's kind of a way of investing in your future and believing in your future which sounds a bit woo but it's like it gives you something to look forward to something to hope for it gives you a reason to want to wake up tomorrow morning um and if and which sounds like a lot to put on every single recipe but when it comes down to it, I think that's like at the very like innate level what it is. But also like food, all food um, and all food writing is a form of social history. So even if it's something as simple as saying um, my husband liked this and they're normally really fussy, I'm like, okay, that doesn't sound very interesting, but this has given me a snapshot of your life and your values. And in years to come, we could analyze this. You know, all food writing is social history and without it, it's just a recipe on a page and I don't know why I should make it, why I should want it, why I should care about it, you know. And so to be able to do that in the way that Nigella does, she does it so seamlessly, so beautifully. It's like, 
it's this weird sense of effortlessness because you can tell that that's how she talks and how she thinks about food, but also like effort because she wants us to care about it. She uses, she's real good at using like literary references and like biblical references and stuff. Like it's this perfect convergence of that. And before I'd encountered her writing and her TV shows, um, I was more like the food writing I had read or seen was just kind of like very straightforward, hearty kind of, yeah. And just realizing that I could um, incorporate my love of florid writing (laughs) with my love of food was amazing. And now it's just like, I can't read a recipe that's not written with that kind of love and care. I mean, I can, but like, you know, yeah. So I kind of demand a lot of my food writing that I read. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just thinking um, one of the recipes that I visit every week just about is there's a recipe that is for kitchery or kitchery and um, it's sort of set um, in this great story about Downton Abbey like it kind oh of, yeah yeah and that I that's really interesting because obviously what I tend to do is go to the recipe like I've read the whole blog but I generally live in the recipe you know I'm like oh that recipe but every time I go there I just get this wonderful memory of your writing around that and I just think yeah it adds something to the meal in a way I think it does yeah that was something that I wrote for Tenderly and I was so lucky with that writing job because they really they just let me do whatever I want and so that was um, like kind of returning back to the idea of references I love I have like I, I'm medically hardwired to use references in all my writing and so this was like this column I'd do where I would make a recipe based on some media I'd consumed or enjoyed and at that time yeah my mum and I would been watching Downton Abbey together like a cozy British drama about rich people I don't know that's very comforting to me um, and yeah it was I really enjoyed being able to write about the food in that context yeah yeah and it's such a great recipe as well like they're all great recipes but there's something so like I'd been dying for that food in my mouth for so long (laughs) and like I just had trialed and aired it and it was always not as great and yeah so I'm just very grateful for that thank you very much for that I'm delighted (laughs) so you write um there was the tenderly stuff but you mainly write um on your blog eh? like hungry and frozen that's right right? yeah 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 and um you're using patreon a bit as well do you find that good yeah it's it's interesting I think with patreon so um patreon is a a website that allows people to kind of essentially sponsor you or subscribe to you for a couple of dollars a month you give them exclusive content and it's kind of a way of people being able to support you um you'll notice like lots of podcasts have it you know um lots of people have it um it is one of those things where it's it's not a place to build a platform it's a place to go if you already have a platform and part of me is like if I had a platform I probably wouldn't need a patreon but so i'm kind of in that sort of middle but i'm fine with it being quite small i Mm. really enjoy it it's in a lot of like this is going to sound super dramatic i don't want to say like patreon saved my life but it's been a real um a real important part of my (laughs) life um the the group of people that are there and like it's been so to be like to be very black and white like the money aspect of it has been a lifesaver but also it's it's a great place to have like this little, um, like a group of people that I can show my writing to. It feels really safe, real cozy. Um, I really enjoy being like, 
yeah, being able to share that stuff with the people because um, I don't, you know, so where I live, it's pretty isolated. I, you know, I'll put some poems online every now and then, but I don't necessarily have like a, um, I don't really necessarily have people reading my work that much, definitely not my fiction. Um, so it's really nice to have, yeah, a little group of people I can show my poems to. Thank yeah. you so much for talking about that because I think, um, you know, it's one of my biggest questions anytime I meet a writer is how do you sustain it like you know like I mean yeah I just think um sometimes we don't talk about these things and I just think how to sustain it you know like and and sustain in all sorts of ways financially you know community wise yeah, yeah I just I just think it's a really interesting question it yeah it's hard eh? it's a it's an un, it's a very unsustainable um vocation yeah <laughs> and it's the sort of it's the sort of um place like say you were like I want to be a doctor people aren't going to be like oh are you going to be like that famous doctor that I know <laughs> or like what are you going to be like top of the doctor charts yeah. but with writing there's this sense of like there's the real famous writers and the real well-known writers and you know that's where you need to be um yeah yeah I totally agree I totally agree and I was just thinking like if you said you want to be a doctor no one's gonna say oh what what are you gonna do for money like oh totally what's your other job gonna be (laughs) exactly yeah so you're writing oh so that's your secret shameful um pastime and then what's your real job (laughs) yeah yeah what do you really do oh my god it's so hilarious so um you've started on the second novel has that been different in any way from writing the first like real different what what do you reckon's different about it so my first novel it's very so okay my first novel in short it's about a bartender (laughs) so I was a bartender yeah I think (laughs) I'm like it's not a romantic cliff I think it's probably totally a romantic cliff um (laughs) but like that is what it is um it just happens to be about a bartender in Wellington but um so write what you know but my second novel is um Oh my gosh, this is so it's about a, a real small town, <laughs> um, a small country village. Um, and so my second novel is a big sort of family novel. It's about um, this enormous family. Um, and then one of the um, family members, um, she's a woman who's about sort of in her late 50s. She's just got cancer. And everyone's sort of starting to realize that actually there are so many people in this tiny town that have died of cancer over the years. And so the novel kind of jumps between these women that have died of cancer and then the present day and this woman dealing with her cancer and being surrounded by her large family and um, just sort of the ins and outs of that. And both the novels, they're very vibesy. There's not, there's not a ton of plot. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. As I said, like I'm connected when I, when I thought about like the films of Robert Altman, I was like, Oh, thank goodness for him because this is a thing that I can kind of connect to so that I can like help people understand um it's about like the peripheries and about like overlapping conversations and about just drifting around and things do happen but it's not necessarily like in a linear fashion and and I actually after I wrote the first novel I did read um a couple of books by Eve Babbitts um and I was like, oh, okay, thank goodness. Here's someone that I can name when I'm trying to pitch myself to literary agents. <laughs> I'd be like, look, someone else has written a vibes only book. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. And I think it was so interesting because like when, when you mentioned the player, I sort of went back and um, looked at it again. And like, 
my memory is that it's just plot 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 you know what I mean like my yeah. memory is that it's like oh all things happening all the time but I think what's interesting is that a lot of that I think I made up um trying to hold it piece it together if you know what I mean yeah and I kind of I really that is one of my preferred kind of narrative forms is where I'm kind of actively involved as a reader or a watcher in making the bits work. You know, I don't know. It's quite it's quite astounding. Yeah, I yeah. think Altman's films kind of do that. I actually I found this really good quote about him, where it was like, the uh, from this book about him, where it says, "The more randomly the fragments of faces, figures, and conversation are given, the more coherent the space becomes." The viewer is often unaware momentarily of just what location he is observing or even why it is being observed, but the confusion itself becomes a coherent expression of this loose, unfocused community existing in disorder with its members operating not out of friendship, but a sort of mutual antagonism. And the less definition Altman offers, the less securely the viewer is fixed in the narrative and instead is offered the opportunity to help construct the proceedings from the interlocking fragments. I was like, damn, that's cool. Yeah. That is an amazing quote. My God, I feel like I want to tattoo it somewhere. That is incredible. Oh my God. And like, it's just so interesting when you kind of then think about it in the, in the framework of a novel. Oh my God, that is amazing. Yeah. Especially because I think a lot of novels and, you know, this, we live in a society, but um, in terms of, you know, trying to pitch a novel to people, publishers are coming at it from, they want a blockbuster and they want to know, what first of all what is this book like what what famous book is this book like uh, but also how is your book completely different um as so I think that's what a lot of them value over maybe you know like creativity or storytelling or different forms of storytelling or you know breaking from the comforts of convention so yeah and I mean yeah. like you're so okay full disclosure I'm only halfway through your oh, most recent novel thank but you I for <laughs> No, 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 no. Like, I'm excited to be half halfway through. Um, um, I'm, but I loved the new animals, and like that obviously had like a really interesting structure where it's like I'm not trying to tell you what your novel's like. Oh, but, please do. And I also <laughs> want to I want to try and say this in a way that doesn't spoil anything for people who have probably already read it anyway. But it's like how it starts off, and you are drifting along with these people and following their lives, and it seems quite normal. And then all of a sudden something happens and you have to go with it and it takes you in a completely different direction. And oh I loved that. And I was like, this is not a, this is not a normal novel. <laughs> and I think I but I loved that, it about it. I wonder if that's why I like your work so much because that's my sensibility as well. Yeah. You know, like I loved I love... the drifting and I loved the sudden action as well. I loved them both. Yeah. I love drifting. Like the way that that's what I think is so great about that quote about Altman, you know, like this idea that, yeah like I mean when because I went to film school for I, I loved it I so wanted to be a filmmaker but like that's so cool that whole idea about framing you know like where am I looking mm. you know, and, and I think that's what I love about writing novels is that there's slightly more room than a short story to kind of look yeah. outside you know what I mean like you can sort of be over here a little bit or over here yeah. a little bit and yeah. I think actually it's almost like within a within the confines of a poem that's why I like all the plot to be in there because it's such a short little burst. But with a novel where ostensibly all the plot should be, that's where you've got room to just, you know, sink in. 
Yeah, yeah I love it. Got yeah. room to have no plot. <laughs> I love. I just love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I just, oh my God, I've so enjoyed talking to you. I think I'm out of questions. Is there anything else you want to say about your poems or your writing or anyone no, else? No, I'm just real delighted to be here and talk about them today. It's, um, I tell you what, it is a real treat having someone tell you about your own work. That's <laughs> real fun. I mean, that's super sincerely like, that was real fun. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, if anyone else wants to tell me about my writing, like please go ahead. <laughs> I could talk to you about your writing all day. I fucking <laughs> love it. Um, thank you so much, Laura. And um, yeah, thanks heaps and have a good day. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Okay. Um, this was what I thought around a response to the conversation. So Laura and I start this conversation by talking a lot about lists, like um, and it's one of my favorite narrative structures. So what I thought you could do is take a story that you know well. Maybe it's a television episode, maybe it's a film, maybe it's a fairy tale, maybe it's a story that your your family tells a lot. And then I thought you could write this as a list. So um, as the story uh, unfolds, you might like to list the objects that come about as the story unfolds. You might like to list the emotions that are felt as the story unfolds. You might simply like to list the people in the room as the story unfolds. What you'll be left with after you do this is a list, obviously, um, and you might have some fun. Um, that might be a beautiful thing in itself and you might not like to touch it. But one thing I thought you could do with that list, if you felt still felt inspired, was um, to write something new with it. So to take the list and create a new story. So yeah, uh, yeah, see how you go. Thanks heaps.